Lord, you said that if those of you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, Father, I ask for the filling of your Holy Spirit this morning, that you would speak through me to this, your people. Uh, speak clearly and with great clarity, with, with great grace and truth. For these friends, that you would give them the gift of listening and understanding and response various uh, venues to which they live their lives. Lord, we ask all of this for your honor and glory here in our day. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's become a recent phenomenon, all these viral videos that we, we watch and share on Facebook and Instagram and everything, right? You know, we, we do that. You, you see a video and you instantly got to share it or you, you have your loved one say, hey, you got to take a look at this. This happened this week. You know, we had those, those wicked winds, you know, earlier in the week. It was so bad, uh, I'd been meaning to attach the outer window by my door as you walked into my front door, but it's been slightly off, you know, because I couldn't actually attach it. I said, oh, when it gets warmer, I'll worry about it. You know, the wind caught it, threw the door out, and glass crashed everywhere. Kimmy cleaned it up, you know. She reminded me that she cleaned it up. <laughs> well, there was a video of a little, like, three-year-old girl coming back from the grocery store. Some of you guys shaking your heads. You said, I saw this video. You know, and she's coming up the steps, and next to her is, is just, there's no railing to these steps. She's coming up to, like, the back door of a house, and she grabs the storm door, and she's only, like, three. She's got to look up to it, so she catches the door and opens it, and the wind catches the door, and it just swings it all the way around to where you can't even see her, you know, anymore in the video. I guess the, the security camera got there, you know, somehow. And you can see the mom starting to take steps too late, but it's really funny to watch because the kid just, whoom, just goes all the way around. And everyone who saw that this week said, hey, have you seen that? Because that's what we do, right? You got to see this. This is amazing. Maybe it's a song that you've heard. You got to listen to this. You guys see this. We do that with, with beautiful scenery that we've ever seen. You know, I, I, I keep telling you guys, Shenandoah Valley, Old Rag Mountain, you got to get up there and see it. It's the highest part of the national park. Stunning view of the valley. Those of you who've been to the Caribbean, you've never seen such beauty, right? It's amazing. I'll tell you what's amazing in Michigan, of all places, Torch Lake. You know, it's in Michigan. It's absolutely blue, gorgeous water that we experienced this past summer. It was amazing. The white sands of the low country of South Carolina with the pelicans flying over off the beautiful, warm summer breeze. We do this. It's like, you got to see this. It's amazing. Well, this is exactly what David is doing in Psalm 34. As we look at it this morning, I invite you to open up with me in your Bibles to Psalm 34. If you, you don't have your Bibles with you, it's the psalm that we just prayed together. You know, as we're in this season of Lent, it reminded me that there are those who disagree with us about who God is and who Jesus is. It was Friedrich Nietzsche who said that Christianity is a religion for the weak. My cousin David Bell was personally hired by Ted Turner in 1980 to help launch CNN and 
PBS in Atlanta, and David would tell me, you know, Ted's not known for his humility. Um, Ted Turner, who was raised by Christian missionary parents, said that Christianity is a religion for losers. Now, when you read Psalm 34 and what David is going through, I think it's, it's important for us to realize, instead of standing up to Ted and, and Friedrich and getting into their face and saying, no, it's not a religion for losers, Psalm 34 teaches us that we should respond with, yeah, it is. It is. And I'm one of them. Last week we learned in Psalm 32 about, you know, when we screw up, when we know we've failed in our walk with Christ, we haven't done what we should have done, that, you know, our prayer lives, our Bible reading, our being good neighbors, whatever it might be, when we failed and we know it's our fault, Psalm 32 taught us through confession that we can live from this time forward with such joy, such powerful living than we've ever had before. We learned the need for confession, the way of confession, and the basis for confession, which is hiding ourselves in Christ. Well, today, this psalm teaches us not when we've messed up, but when life affects us. When things that are totally beyond our control, how do we get up and have joy and power to live the next life, this life that we've been called to live? great hope and flourishing. What do you do when the doctor tells you that it's incurable? What do you do when a loved one gets such news or someone you love or you know closely dies suddenly or you lose your job or you have such hassles at work that are totally beyond your control? What happens when it's not your fault? Psalm 34 shows us how even in the various valleys of our lives, we can come out in flourishing. Because what's happening here, David is writing this around the time of 1 Samuel 21. In that part of the scripture, he's fleeing from Saul. King Saul wants to kill him. Now imagine that. The king, or the prime minister, or the president, sent his special ops to you to kill you. You're going to run. That's exactly what David's doing. But it's amazing what God does as he's running. All the outcasts of Israel are starting to come to him. And so we believe that David is writing this in the cave of Adullam where he's hiding out. He's just left the king of Gath, King Achish in 1 Samuel 21, recognized David for who he was. And he shrewdly observes that Achish is well aware of his fame because it's King Achish of Gath who says, Saul has slain his thousands, David his thousands of thousands. And David like, oh gosh, this guy's going to stumble down the river. So David pretends he's insane pretty shrewd. You know, just pretends he's some crazy guy until Achish sends him away. Doesn't want him around him. And so here he is hiding. God's anointed hiding as David's mighty men are being assembled. And David didn't even ask for them to come. 
This is David. This is the, the, the former teenager who smack-talked the giant. Not only smack-talked the giant with righteous anger, he slayed the giant with sticking a, a stone right in his forehead and cutting off his head. David is not a coward. He's a man's man. You've got to like him. You've got to admire him, his courage, his wisdom. Everybody would have wanted their daughter to marry a guy like David. He's a man after God's own heart. And it's interesting because Psalm 34, all the attributes that are described of David in 1 Samuel 21 are attributed to God in Psalm 34. If there ever was a superman, David was he. Here's David who really could celebrate his greatness, his wealth, and his status. But here he reflects on this period of his life where he's nothing more than a poor and needy loser, a sinner in need of rescuing. And so what this psalm teaches us, it's an acrostic psalm. Those of you who aren't familiar, an acrostic psalm, it's the first letter of each stanza. The first letter all spells a word down through the entire psalm. And uh, psalms are difficult. To, to determine the structure. I'm not going to lie. This was a challenge for me this week, but I'll give it my best shot. I think what the Lord is teaching us here is, number one, no matter our circumstances, we boast in the Lord. Two, we're continually invited in the valleys of our life to taste and see and seek. And last but not least, we're to gain perspective on who God is and who we are. So first, let's look at in the valleys of our lives, no matter the circumstances, we are a people who are called to boast in the Lord. Verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. You see, we're to bless the Lord at all times. And by implication given David's situation, we know he's in a tough spot. He's being pursued by King Saul, and yet he writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You know, it, it's important for us to remember this concept because, you know, we, we're always going to have ups and downs in life. And it doesn't just stop there. He says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad, because as we boast in him, it keeps us humble. You know, we think of the word boasting, and nobody likes a boaster, you know? You guys remember that gym class hero? You know, the kid who got cut from all the sports, but still thought that he was Michael Jordan, you know? So you're in PE class, and the kid is playing like he's in the NCAA finals, throwing elbows, you know, all that stuff. Dude, it's just P.E., you know? And five years later in the high school reunion, you go back, and he's still boasting about a P.E. class that you forgot a long time ago and could care less about. Nobody likes a boaster or the person who always, always, always talks unendingly about how great their kids are or forgets and talks always, always, always how great their grandkids are. That isn't the boasting that he's talking about. 
This is a proper boasting. It's a boasting in the work that God has done because David, my friends, is still alive. And he's thankful to God for it. And so he comes in boasting in the Lord for who he is and that we who are humble as we boast will remain so and hear and be glad of who God is. And notice, he's talking individually, but then he runs to corporately in verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. There's a corporate aspect to this boasting and blessing. And so many of our contemporary Christian songs are centered on my experience. And so that's why Brian and I work hard to make sure what we sing is theologically correct. Oh, some songs are first person, because it is a personal experience that you do have with the Lord. But there's a corporate aspect that David wants God's people to recognize is that even though I'm in my valley, you may not be, we're going to bless the Lord together no matter our circumstances. So therefore, let us exalt his name, he says, together. Secondly, we're taught to seek and taste. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in the Hebrew words darash for seek and toam for taste are translated accurately in the English. What the English doesn't imply, what the Hebrew does, is a consistency. That this is something that the followers of God do on an ongoing basis because David knows, and the Lord knows, our typical reaction to the valleys of our lives are what? When bad things happen to us, we withdraw, we complain, we shake our fists. If not physically, internally, we do so. That's natural. We do that. But David is reminding us that even while we're in that valley, we as God's people are to be seeking the Lord and tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. It's an important thing because as we do so, our faces are radiant. Their faces shall, verse 5, those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. You can tell when a person, when they're in a valley, is seeking the Lord, even in the midst of their not even understanding what the Lord is carrying them through. We've all been there, right? But when we continue to seek him and taste and see, we will discover that he's good. Well, how do you do this? How do you seek the Lord and taste and see? Well, starts off with remaining in God's Word, first and foremost. Recognizing that this is the inspired Word of God, and God continues to speak powerfully to us through it, and not just read it, but meditate on it, chew it on it a little bit. Don't just run through it. It's a great thing, but we've got to make sure that we chew on it a little bit and take some time in it. Also in our prayer lives, starting off with just a little bit and then let it grow. We have a prayer workshop this summer just to teach us how we can deepen our prayer lives together with the Lord individually and corporately. But go to Him in prayer. Spend some time with Him. And spend some time in the counsel of the community. Don't live isolated lives. When you're going through a valley, share it with a brother or sister here in the 11 o'clock family of Christ Church. Because we're not intended 
to live isolated lives. Never is a better illustration for that than someone who's gone through a valley is Corey Ten Boom. Chuck Swindoll is 82. And when he was in his, in the 1970s, when he was in his 40s, sitting in the front row of Fullerton Evangelical Free Church, where he was the pastor, was Corey Ten Boom. I can't imagine. He said it was the most, the most intimidating experience of his life, having Corey sit on the front row with her Bible open, taking notes of what he had to say. For those of you who don't know who Corey Ten Boom is, she was a survivor of a Nazi concentration camp. She, her family was a group of Dutch Reformed Christians in Amsterdam, whose family, her father, this is a great name, Mr. Ten Boom was a clockmaker. And so he, they decided as Christians, their duty unto the Lord is to hide the Jews that the Nazis were taking away. They were capturing the Dutch Jews and taking them away to concentration camps. And so Mr. and Mrs. Ten Boom, along with Corey and her sister Betsy, they would hide these Jews. They had a hiding place in their house. And they would hide them and try to get them to escape at nighttime and get away until they got caught. Mr. Ten Boom was taken to one concentration camp. Mrs. Ten Boom was taken to another one where they died. They didn't survive the experience. Corey and Betsy were taken to, I think it was Buchenwald uh, concentration camp where Betsy died. But Corey never stopped seeking the Lord, tasting and seeing that he was good, ministered among her fellow prisoners, most of who were Jewish, who couldn't understand why God was allowing this to go through them. And she just kept reminding them it wasn't God. God is sovereign, yes, but this is the evil of humanity that's taking us through this. Seek the Lord with me. She would do a devotion with all the crammed in these awful bunkhouses. It was Corey who would do that. She would continue to seek and taste and see that the Lord is good. And to drive people back to God's word, back to prayer, to serve one another. And all of a sudden you had inmates sharing clothes, sharing their food. Because of the blessing that, that Corey was. You can't imagine having that saint, learned saint, experienced saint, in the front pew of the church each and every Sunday. And she encouraged that whole congregation to continue to do so in their lives. My friends, let's continue to seek by going to the Word. What's your Bible reading plan this year? I'm doing one that Kimmy recommended to me. It's called the five-day reading plan. We have weekends off, you know? Um, I go, okay, I'll try this this year, you know? It's really cool, but you read large chunks throughout the week, you know, Monday through Friday. It, it's been a great blessing for me this year, and it's kind of allowed me to focus on the text for Sunday as I approach the Lord's Day. It's kind of nice. But, you know, not just that, uh, you know, use the Word to drive us into prayer. The, the Advent devotional we're doing, Journey Through Lent, we pulled out of them quickly. I'm sorry for those of you who didn't get them, but uh, just use these little devotional readings to, to spur your prayer life on. Do it in a group. If you're not in a group, get in a group. Continue to work 
with that and to serve as God gives us opportunities as spring is starting to come when I have some opportunities to do that. Because, dear friend, as we do so, what we see is the Lord is good and our faces radiate with the beauty of Christ. Despite what you look like, the world notices and it's a beautiful thing. So therefore, friends, we boast in the Lord, we seek and taste, and as we do that, we gain perspective because we fear the Lord. Look at verse 9 with me. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. For you young lions suffer and want hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This fear in these verses, in verse 9 and 11, is not the same fear as in verse 4, when David said, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. That is a, a fear that's a terror. This is a reverential honor. It's a reverence. It's an understanding of the holiness of God that we're not coming in to my cosmic buddies each and every week as we worship that's why we always start the worship off with some scripture. Rend your hearts, not your garments, says the Lord. You know, if you're not holy, we wouldn't have to do that, right? You know, in the communion, bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. His mercy endures forever. It's really a beautiful thing, and, and we in the West kind of struggle with that a little bit, you know? We love His grace, and we run to the grace of God, which isn't a bad thing. But if that's all we do is talk about the grace of God, we don't understand his holiness, we won't pursue holiness for ourselves. While people in the East love the holiness of God, they, they, they want justice, they want to see God bring justice on the earth, and they struggle with his grace. But the reality, friends, is he is both holy and merciful, revealed to us. And therefore, we fear the Lord and not taking his ways and his path our lives very lightly. We need to make sure we're accurate when we talk about him. That is why some of you came to me about five or six years ago when the shack came out and said, we need to go to a shack night and have a book reading club. And I said, no. I read it. Timmy read it. There's parts of it which are great. God is with us in the present and in in, in the awful parts of our lives. No question about it. But it wasn't a way for it to be done in literature has already been done. And the shack is an incomplete God. I won't go see it. You know, it's got some good stuff in it, but I, I think it's incomplete. I would suggest a better portrayal of God is in C.S. Lewis's Aslan. Right? You, you know, they're huddled up in the beaver's den, all the children, and Edwin says, he's a lion? Well, is he safe? What does the beaver say? No. Very correct. Correct. A for that little young lady. No. Aslan's not safe. He's a lion. But he's good. And all throughout the Chronicles of Narnia, every single time the children see Aslan, and what do they do? Aslan! And they run, and they hug him. And every moment they're hugging him, he goes, this is weird. 
and he's laughing. Oftentimes, the movies do a really good job with the, with, with the, with the books. He's like, he's laughing because his children are with him. He's so happy to have them with him. That's the holiness, and that's the grace. And every time Aslan's about to leave, they beg him not to leave. They don't want to leave his presence. That's God. Is he safe? Absolutely not. But he's good. And that's why David can say, our faces are radiant, and we shall never be ashamed as we boast seek him as we taste and see that he is good even in the valleys of our lives. Even when we're afflicted he will deliver us out. He will keep all our bones. Not one of them is broken. Verse 20. In verse 22 he says the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Paul hearkens back to that in Romans verse 8, 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is why David can say in Psalm 23, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It explains that God will be with him not only in these present days, but all his life, all into eternity, ladies and gentlemen. Because God has spread a table before him in the presence of his enemies, as he says in, in, in Psalm 23. His cup has run over. And it not only runs over in David's life and in our life, but for everyone who knows Jesus Christ throughout history, revealed in Scripture and church history. He's not only good, he's good to us. And there are times in our lives that's hard. There are those who are suffering right now, who are lonely, who are weary of this world. That's why we say, in the midst of it all, with all Christians, God is good. And secretly wonder that right now is not really good for me. But dear ones, God comes to us with these wonderful tokens of baptism and the Lord's Supper, reminding us, I am good to us in the signs and seals of bread, wine, baptism. You are washed clean, raised to new life in Jesus Christ. And when we taste and see and fear the Lord, he chases all our nightmares away, all these fears, and puts them in their place, and recognizing that God is the only God. He is the only one. He truly did die. He truly did rise again for you and me. Oh, we can taste and see. And we can listen to what he has to say for our life. Because he's near to the brokenhearted. He doesn't go to the proud. He never has. Those who put God at his leg and say, I'm a Christian. They put him right here. Don't go any step further in their relationship with the Lord. Don't go any step further loving his people. Don't go any step further in loving your neighbor. No, he, he goes to those who say, I'm a loser. I need help. Because that's what he's always done. No self-confidence. He comes to the brokenhearted. He always does that. He always chooses the weak. He always chooses the shame. Always chooses the needy. And he's present and he uses them to reach 
the Frederick Nietzsche's and the Ted Turner's of our day. That he is God, and he is the only sovereign in the universe. So when we taste and see that at the cross of Jesus Christ, where he laid down his perfect life for each one of us and suffered in our place, and we realize the foolishness of that story, then, and only then, will we gain the perspective that we really truly need. To fear him, to boast in him, to seek him constantly, and taste and see. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, it's a great view. Heavenly Father, we come to you grateful that we can boast in you for what you've done in us in Jesus Christ. You truly did come for us, Lord Jesus Christ. David later in Samuel recognizes that there will always be a king in Israel. And Jesus, you are that king. We're grateful for that. And even though David was a fallen human being and, and fell as we do, we're grateful that in Jesus we will never be ashamed. You redeem our lives and we will take refuge in you. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, increase that confidence in each and every one of us this morning and carry it on through the remainder of our days. For in Jesus' name we pray.